This special two-part episode of the AFIRE podcast is sponsored by Accountability, a consulting firm that helps companies embed ESG into their corporate DNA. So, hey, Ben, how you doing? I'm good. I'm energized by some of the conversation we've had so far, so I'm looking forward to getting back into it with you. You are listening to the AFIRE podcast, real estate, technology, cross-border investing, and the opportunities of a changing world. Let's start a conversation now. You know, certainly there's a lot of negative around climate change. And, and uh, we talked in the, in the first part of this uh, climate risk podcast around what the problems are. And, and I'm hopeful we'll, we'll find some solutions uh, that we can talk about to give us, you know, kind of a, a path forward. So as we move into this more action-oriented uh, podcast, there was something that came up in a lot of the conversations we have. And, and that was a, a story about, about a group called Alquist. Yeah, this was really exciting to hear about, especially because we're seeing more and more of it happening. So Alquist, founded in 2020 in Iowa City, heart of the U.S., Midwest startup. The founder of the company, Zach Mannheimer, created Alquist to build 3D housing. Um, The goal or the mission of the organization is create affordable housing that can be built quickly. The 3D printed homes, they're printed with concrete. Uh, This makes them structurally sound, makes them waterproof, makes them easy to maintain. So far, Alquist has already amassed a pipeline of more than 250 homes to print, and they're working right now with a caseload of about an average of 50 requests every week coming in for more homes to print. This idea of figuring out not only how do we build more resiliently, but we have to build more and we have to build more efficiently than we have in the past and more quickly. That idea is starting to come into the conversation from the standpoint of something that's investable. Um, And that we heard a lot of from Parag Khanna, who's the founder and chair of Climate Alpha and the author of a book called Move, where people are going for a better future, which I think is just a fantastic summary of of the issue around climate-related migration. Um, He's also a great friend of AFIRE and has spoken at a few of our meetings and has contributed a lot of his thoughts uh, to AFIRE Summit. So here's what he had to say about 3D printing houses and why it's so important. 3D printed housing, manufactured housing, again, mobile housing and so forth uh, are are starting to thrive as a low-cost, high-speed approach. So we're seeing for example, a number of companies that are now at Series C, Series D level funding that are getting faster and better at doing industrial scale housing and building projects. Because right now we need to figure out a way to provide more housing for a fast migrating population in the midst of climate change. When we're standing at the intersection of climate change and migration and sustainable real estate, there's an opportunity, I think, for the industry to lead climate adaptation efforts. According to UN Habitat, Parag says there's at least 3 billion people who are going to need better housing by the end of this decade that we're in. That's six, seven years away at this point. That means 96,000 new homes need to be built each day between now and 2030. And that scale of building requires a new approach, which brings us right back to 3D printed homes. 
you're seeing 3D printed housing uh, go up in uh, a couple of days, right, rather than in months. So it's a very, very significant difference. And of course, it can be done kind of one off, right, rather than these huge sort of colonies and these units can be separated from each other and adjusted as needed. Look, quite frankly, you can have shipping containers that are being retrofitted into homes. So it doesn't even have to be that high tech. These also have to be built to be sustainable. You know, you can build circular kind of housing. You've got the solar panels and you've got the wastewater recycling and so forth, all built into one infrastructure. So you've got the circularity there. That's where these technologies really gel with the vision I have around, um, you know, a global population that adapts by way of migration to more stable locations. And that's, I think, just inherent in human nature. There's fight or flight. And I think that uh, fighting against nature is not really a wise strategy. And so you have flight. Whole populations are changing where in the world they live, which brings up an interesting counterpoint. When you think about what are widely acknowledged as global crises, climate change, you have very different points of view, really. You know, you've got optimists and pessimists and skeptics and cynics. But Gunnar, it's so interesting. What is the one thing that all over the world you hear people say is the crisis in their country. It's affordable housing. I think this is something that everybody can agree on, uh, what Prague is saying here. We don't just need housing. We need housing that people can afford. I've never been in a, whatever 150, 60 countries I've been to. Is there a place I've been to where people do not say that affordable housing is their number one concern? And to be honest, I, I can't think of one. I can't think of a single one. And by the way, it's not just about housing. There's an opportunity in a remarkable number of different sectors. One of the things Parag talks about as well is a deeply held view. Investing now and investing early in climate resilient geographies could generate 70% higher returns on portfolios by 2030 alone. This is the same time scale we're talking about the need for housing to be built. You know, Jacques Gordon, uh, executive in residence at MIT Center for Real Estate Innovation, he agrees that there's plenty of opportunities for real estate investors. The industry has really been very, very focused on mitigation, which is the buzzword for decarbonization, reducing your energy footprint. That's all quite appropriate. But Jacques Gordon also says that adaptation is important and is a possible venue for real estate investors. And adaptation is acknowledging that rising sea levels, rising temperatures, rising humidity and volatile weather, they're going to be with us as the new normal for decades to come. So one of the best ways to protect ourselves with all the changes that are coming our way is to adopt Jacques Gordon's bento box approach. It's getting close to dinner where I am, so that sounds pretty good to me. The weird thing about climate risk is we have a ton of data on it, huge amounts. Climate science is amazing. But the big, big place that people are really struggling is what do I do about it? And there, there's not a lot of data. Like what is a prudent owner of real estate in Miami supposed to do? Hence, the bento box approach. I chose bento box as the metaphor. I could have said smorgasbord or buffet, but it's a bit like a menu with not just one or two items on the menu, but there are eight or nine things on the menu to address climate risk. They're very practical. They can be done. So this is what Jacques puts in the bento box for climate risk responses. 
we have a few different types of assessments that need to be performed. There's the climate risk and data for phase one risk assessment, phase two risk assessment, detailed audit of resiliency of those assets. And then the phase three is the actual hardening of those assets or protecting them against these known and foreseen climate risks. And then meanwhile, other responses that come from this same meal, asset selection and portfolio construction, that's a huge part of the bento box approach. Major infrastructure investments. And these are things that happen outside of um, an investor. These are This is partly the city's response as well. Berms and dikes, permeable pavements, swales, water retention assets and uh, landscape features. And then we have other aspects or other ways to respond to climate risk insurance, which we've discussed in detail. You can go down a list and it's a real standard list of, you know, are there ways to maybe make that exterior liner more resilient or is it a scenario like if this is just an asset that is being viewed as uninsurable, then maybe there's, is there a reskinning that needs to be considered? Are there tie downs or reinforcements that are needed to protect the lift that might happen when you've got that driving sideways wind and, and what what's that roof going to be able to handle? And so again, those, those types of features and conditions might drive some, some improvements, some things that will make it insurable or reduce premiums. So here we have a situation where the short-term capital allocation uh, is in conflict with long-term investment decisions. In other words, I can save money now, but it will not save me money in the long run. But at the same time, now that insurance is getting involved at this granular level, if I make those short-term cheap decisions, they're actually also impacting me on the short term because insurance is penalizing me for making cheap decisions. I need to be making long-term investments in order to keep my insurance premiums down now. You're maybe spending a little bit more now, but it's going to benefit later. So Bob Geiger here is calling for a reassessment of how we value resilience in real estate. Focusing on durability and extension of life I mean, it is what resilience is all about. But how do you do that when the threat that's coming at us is constantly changing and evolving? I think it's going to call for something more. Zhenzheng Tang, uh, a research scientist and lecturer at the MIT Center for Real Estate, had some things to say about that. I think this is what Darwin says. It's not the strongest species that survive, not the in most intelligent one, but the most adaptable one uh, that can survive. For years and years, the industries of real estate and construction have tried to tackle decarbonization and sustainability by reducing carbon emissions and doing actual hard, practical things to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. But it's clear, and especially based on some of the data that Zheng Zhen and her colleagues have shared, there cannot be enough done in this space to effectively reduce the amount of carbon we have in our atmosphere. So there are other paths, other adaptations that we can take um, to achieving some of these goals. And part of it is just having transparency to what we're doing. To a certain extent, construction and real estate are very old businesses, and we are doing some things the same way we've been doing it for hundreds of years. So for us to be able to see what the problem is, to be able to have a, an accurate data picture, and for us to be able to respond appropriately, whether we're creating carbon markets and accurate carbon markets that give us an incentive to be able to figure out exactly how we can limit the amount of carbon we do, or to be able to uh, understand through the use of digital assets, 
exactly what a building is doing and what we can do to improve it, to be able to create new modeling, to change the way we build and to change the way that we manage these assets in order to be much more sustainable. Technology is a big part of this. Data is a big part of this. Happening adjacent to all of this is this voluntary carbon market. We have not just the real estate and construction industries exposed to it, but all types of business that's helping corporations track, tokenize, and transact their energy or carbon impacts. And let's not forget it, it also includes uh, what we often call virtual reality, the idea of modeling the real world in a virtual space so that we can follow the data, we can model things as they happen there. Um, that all of these technologies have been put under a popular rubric of Web 3.0. But what we're talking about is a, is a more sophisticated and more interactive internet that is interacting with the real world in meaningful ways. I would certainly advise any investor to keep a close eye on what's coming out of the Center for Real Estate Innovation at uh, MIT, because these Web 3.0 applications offer perhaps some unique capabilities for us to monetize real estate carbon value and unlock new approaches to investments and, and new potential uh, revenue streams. I feel as long as we can price the carbon, price the risk into the balance sheet, then it's going to drive the behavior change. So what Seng is talking about and uh, MIT's Center for Real Estate Innovation has been working on is really bringing all this information to bear so that the tragedy of the horizons is no longer as big an issue. We can see the impact of our actions in real time. And it's no longer a surprise that what we're doing in the present is impacting our future. It all is part of the same idea. You know, one of the things that, that gets your eye off the ball on climate risk, honestly, is that at certain stages of the cycle, interest rates are either destroying or creating a lot more value than something that affects only the insurance line of 0.1% of your discounted cash flow. And when 0.1% of your DCF moves to 0.2 or 0.3 or 0.4, it still doesn't get your attention um, because the revenues and the value of the building dwarf that, that small cost. It's really when it reaches a crisis proportion, like you were saying, you can't get a mortgage because you can't get insurance. Now it's no longer 0 0.4, 0 0.3% of your discounted cash flow. It's the whole debt line is gone. And you're going to have to pay back 60% of the value of your building to the lender because you no longer insure. Now it gets your attention. This is still something to come. We haven't yet had enough of the crisis mentality in this for the reasons I mentioned. Government bailouts, moral hazard, and insurers make it possible for private investors to ignore climate risk for the time being. But that can't hold. Governments will be bankrupt trying to build dikes and harden up places that are at risk. And the insurance industry won't be able to keep insuring what's basically an untenable position of charging premium incomes that don't cover the loss payouts they have to do. That's an untenable, unsustainable business model for insurance. Well, we may not know exactly when, but we do know that we have to pay very close attention to this issue. I think what is going to start to happen is that we've been surprised negatively by how rapidly climate change is occurring. Bill McKibben, 20 years ago, founded an organization called 350.org and went around in a school bus getting people to, to pay attention to this. What's amazing about that is he got a lot of attention, just as Greta Thunberg did, 
And a lot of us have now in the corporate and investment world have signed net zero pledges. Meanwhile, that 350 parts per million CO2 has grown to 370 to 390 to 400. It's now 420. And (laughs) it's just a, a societal problem that getting yourself off of fossil fuels and off of the way you've been doing transportation or construction for the last hundred years has to change. Paying attention to not only the mitigation side, but also the adaptation side, that's the prudent thing to do. Jacques Gordon's prudence is something I think we all need to take to heart. We're in a situation here where we don't know exactly what the right moves are. It is a time of change, and that means there are no formulas. So in the real estate industry, and as in the whole world, we have to learn something a bit more than we have done before. We have to be ready to pivot, to change, to adapt to a changing set of circumstances. One of the temptations when we're talking about climate change is to not tend towards the dramatic. But when you have these 100-year climate events happening at a regular pace, it's appropriate to use the language of survival. And it's more appropriate to use the language of adaptation, which is how the best investors, that's the philosophy they're always going to follow. This is a time for understanding that, yes, climate change is a problem. It is a challenge, but it is a surmountable one if we're creative, if we're adaptable, and if we continue to move forward. So what Parag says is climate risk is here and opportunity awaits. Climate change is one more of those things. One more of those things where, yeah, it may be a little hard. It may be a little bleak. There's a lot of uncertainties. But the smart investors are going to understand that this is an opportunity as much as it is a challenge. And it is my belief that the global institutional investor is well-placed to be that smart investor. So that concludes our special two-part podcast focused on climate change. Thank you, everyone, for participating in this. Thank you, Ben, for engaging in this conversation and bringing to bear all these experts from AFIRE Summit. We look forward to the next episode of the AFIRE Podcast. You've been listening to the AFIRE Podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast subscription service, such as Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitchers, and others. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice. No content in this podcast is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information included has been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable, though AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed are those of its respective contributors and sources, and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE. I'd like to thank the sponsor of this two-part episode of the AFIRE podcast, Accountability. They are a go-to partner for unlocking the real value of ESG and commercial real estate, and with three decades of expertise, Accountability isn't just another ESG consultant. They're a strategic ally in an increasingly demanding market. And unlike a lot of consulting firms, CEO Sonny Miser and the team work with you to develop a practical, relevant, and customized approach. They work with some of the most challenging industries from oil and gas and mining to financial services and healthcare to help clients take ESG action that works for their business. You know, ESG doesn't have to be another compliance hurdle. It can be 
an opportunity to elevate property value, attract premier tenants, and satisfy investors. It's an opportunity here to not just address ESG, it's a chance to maximize returns with accountability. You can learn more at accountability.org and lead the way in sustainable real estate.